Okay, good morning, and uh, welcome back to the last week of this class, namely evaluation week. So at the end of the lecture, I will leave you, I guess it's 15 minutes for the evaluations. Who's the one who wants to take care of this? There must be a student, as you know. Okay, thank you. So I think that 10 to 15 minutes is what normally, no, 15. It says 25 here, I don't know. Uh, do you have uh, any questions about the paper? Just due in two days, the day after tomorrow. No questions. So it's due, you know it. Okay, there are questions, indeed. Well, it talks a little bit about serious races in, a, in one of the chapters, if I remember, about Greek athletics in the, in the end. Right. Mm -hmm, not very much. But it does. Uh, you, want, you probably want to use those sources that he reports. I know that they're not very long. What's your question? I mean, well, no, I, I, that's a good question. It's supposed to be based on the sources. You can just say that uh, Futrell doesn't report any sources about that, and that's fine. Just try to find as, as many sources as you can. But if, if you have no ancient sources about boxing, for instance, never mind. So your question is, should I expunge it completely from the paper or not? Oh, well, it was just that in the prompt it says, use Futrell. Mm -hmm. Well, not, if, if you find any other ancient sources, that's perfectly fine. But actually, I don't know how you can easily find other sources, ancient sources. Okay, should I use some of the ancient sources from the gladiator? Sure, if you can check them out in the original, like in the... Perseus web page to, to find the wider context, or we using those sources? Well, sure, if the question is, should I confine myself to Futrell? No, definitely not. Whatever ancient sources you can find, the more the merrier. Heidi. I think it's mainly a comic feature that's just supposed to be funny, visually funny. I don't know, how do you con connect this to the fact that they're manipulated? Manipulative. Yes, that's a good point. Actually, there is a comic effect in the fact that the one who's manipulating anybody else is the person who socially and culturally is not supposed to be the smartest per person on the scene, yes. I think that the, the servant originally in the comic genre starts off as a comic character not being really the, the master of the situation. And it's a specific plotine development, the fact that the servant is, becomes what it is in comedies like the Braga Soldier. So definitely, yes, this contrast, this paradox, I think it's part of the comic effect, yeah. Other questions? Paper, etc. So the deadline is 11 a.m. Wednesday. If you know, okay. What? What's? Uh, you can check everything I say online, of course. But I also ask you to bring me this time a hard copy of it, a printed copy of it, to class Wednesday. Okay. Okay. If there aren't any questions on the paper anymore, um, the final. The final uh, will be on what? What do you have to prepare on the final? I think that since the midterm was quite uh, comprehensive. Uh, most the, the format will be the same of the meter, just longer. I will go into deeper, de more detail about this Wednesday and Friday. Um, but generally speaking, it's going to be about uh, the things that we studied after the meter, 
one of the paragraphs, do you remember the paragraphs, the shorter equations, will be on some issue prior to the midterm, just to make sure that we still remember the things we've done. But all the rest will be on things after the, the midterm. We will have a final review last Friday, the last Friday of class. So this week is basically <coughs> not reported on the syllabus. On the syllabus you have just review, etc. What we're going to do in this week is the following. Friday, last Friday, we have a, a midterm review. <coughs> I'm sorry. Like we had a mid, uh, sorry, a final review like we had a midterm review. So we'll basically give you in class a sheet which will be the exact identical format than the final with different questions. Uh, we will do it in class and we will save some time at the end of the class to comment on, uh, on it. Wednesday we'll uh, see a VHS, I didn't know that they were still around, uh, but apparently this thing is in VHS, which is a representation, a stage representation of the Miles Gloriosus, so the braggart soldier. Um, the readings for Wednesday, basically I made them up lately. I thought that uh, one interesting aspect, uh, I don't know if you were interested in Plodus at all, but we said uh, that uh, Plodus and Seneca have, a, have an important influence in later Western literature in many ways. Now, the literature, the secondary literature, the bibliography to read about this is either too generic or in most cases too detailed because you find articles which deal about one comedy of Plodus and one Renaissance drama or one specific tragedy of Seneca and one specific Elizabethan tragedy. I found the introduction, the introduction to a monograph, so a chapter of a book, which is fairly general, f general enough to give you a general idea and outlook of how important uh, of how important Plautus is uh, to Shakespeare, for instance. I, am, I know that many of yours uh, are either English minor or, or major, and uh, anybody of us is, of course, very familiar with Shakespeare, so I picked up Shakespeare. And we will read for next time, 17 pages, a chapter called The Light Plautus, from this monograph that I will scan and put online right now after the, lesson, the lecture. The, the monograph is called Robert S. Miola. Maiola, I don't know how you pronounce it. It seems to me a... Well, I don't know. To me, it seems an Italian name, but I will say Miola, I don't know. Shakespeare and Classical Comedy, The Influence of Plautus and Terence. It's a fairly recent monograph, 17 pages about that. That, that gives you a general panoramic on uh, how Plautus and Terence have influenced late, um, late antiquity comedy for what we have of it. Uh, very very scant remainders, and um, and the Renaissance um, comedy and theater and Shakespeare. So these are the readings for next time. They will be online soon. Okay, VHS bracket solder paper deadline. Been talking about the paper deadline. All right. So last time we s uh, what we'll do to the readings for today were two two very short chapters. One chapter, one was a recapitulation of the whole Gladiators and Caesar. Have you seen it? it? Had very new, very few new elements. Basically, some reflection on Spartacus, the Spartacus Revolt. What is, I guess, uh, message center? What is pretty important to go over, I think, is the. PowerPoint of last time we didn't discuss, but which presented a number of important points to reflect about. If I can get to open it. 
control L. Okay. All right. The, the, the aspect we didn't talk about last time was uh, Roman theater from Gladiators and Caesar. One point we had been discussing, but I guess we went short of time because there's still much to discuss. It's this fundamental point. How? What is the fundamental to me? I don't know if you find it interesting at all. But let's see. What's uh, new in Plodus, basically? So how does Plodus really recreate a new literature, a new theater in a different environment, although he basically translates uh, Greek originals? The first answer we, you had given was uh, there is novelty in, uh, in the language. The language of Plodus is supposed to be uh, funny. It's not funny to us, but it's a, it's completely, it's a completely new elaboration uh, based on the, on the, as opposed to the Greek originals. Why? Okay, I'm probably not clear, I'm saying, yeah, sure. <laughs> Narbi's looking at me like, what? <laughs> okay, basically, the, com the comic effect in comedy is based on, as Aristotle would, would say, and Caesar and Quintilia, on two facts. The, co the funny aspects which are in the things, in the plot, and funny aspects which are in the words that you're using, you know? So comic effect in words, comic effect in, in, in things. Well, Plodus, we said is uh, recreating a comic effect in the words with, uh, with puns and with wordplay, which wasn't there in the Greek originals for the obvious reason, the reasons that you cannot recreate the wordplay and the puns of a language in another language the very same way. And we saw examples from, from English to Latin, from Latin to English. So there is this sort of comicity of comic effect, of comic spirit in the words, in the wordplay um, that is typical of Plotus comedy, and, and it's obviously an original creation of Plotus. This is the first thing we said. Then what else did we say? What's, where, where does the originality of Plotus lie? Courses is what? C-O-A-R-S-E. Ah, the choruses, yeah, the music, basically, yeah. The, comical, the musical aspect of, uh, of um, Plotus is completely different from the one of Greek originals, whereas Greek originals said choruses. He transforms choruses into dialogues, but he introduces new cantica, so new, song, new songs into the, the plot. That's right. Other aspects that are typically Roman in Plotus. He has deviations from, like, episodes of the Yes, yes, that's right. So we, he doesn't follow closely the plots. In which ways... I think that Duckworth used to tell you something about this. How does he change the plots? There are some standard features. One is called yeah, if you one is called contaminatio, contamination. Sometimes he translates two different Greek comedies into he takes pieces from two different comedies and conflates them into one comedy. Contamination. Sometimes he just changes some scenes, of course. Some the final or, or some characters, uh, the role of some characters. In our bracket soldier, which characters were probably given, which character was probably given a major role which wasn't there in the original, possibly? Sorry? The slave himself. Because he, so on a broader, in a broader way, we could say that the system of characters and this predominance of the servant and of his cunning intelligence, intelligence is a Plodine aspect. So it's, here we go into a deeper aspect, which is the one I would like to go today a little bit, which is not only 
external aspects like, of course, the wordplay is new in Latin. Of course, the music is evidently different. We don't see it, but it used to be a, a, an apparent feature of this. Uh, the plot changes a little bit, but also the role of one character, like the slave, changes. Changes what? What was Menander's comedy about? What were the main themes of Menander's comedy? Love, family, everyday life, feelings, and uh, psychological insight, in a way, into characters which are pretty realistical, characters of everyday experience. Uh, which Latin dramatist is closer to Menander from this viewpoint? Attention to, psycholo to psychology, to nuances of the... Terence's work and Narbi? Seneca is a tragic... This is a tragedy. Well, it's hard to try to draw a parallel between comedy and tragedy. But sure, yeah, Seneca is very, very, very attentive to psychology of his characters, no doubt, that's sure. But in, in uh, I'd say, dramatists, as I usually say, yeah, all right. In comedy, definitely, Terence. So, are Plotus' uh, comedies about love and everyday life? Would you call this everyday life at all? Discuss, let's discuss this. You said yes. Why, why is it uh, Plotus's... No, no. Plotus's life is not a realistic... Uh, Plotus's dramas are not realistic. Everyday is life representations. How and why? Roman, yes. Yes, yes, yes. A proper Roman citizen shouldn't devote himself so fully to love. But this is a topic of the genre. In general, that's right. Love is a, an excuse to deploy some comic scenery. Do you remember when, what's the, the, the only love scene is the Braggart Soldier? That we could, what would you call, I don't know, what would we call a love scene in the Braggart Soldier? You know, the romantic one, I would cry. Well, sorry. She faints, yes. The part she, she has to leave and faints. Now, how much, what, what love does she show? For whom? Do you remember that scene? She's leaving for the harbor, and she's pretending that she loves whom? The soldier, that's what she said. But there is, what's, where's the comic effect? What's going on in that scene? Okay, James, and then Kevin. Mm-hmm. Yes, so there's a two-faced uh, Kevin. Excuse me. Eh, sorry, say again. Uh, All right. Yes, this is. Yeah. I thought the scene where uh, hired uh, wife mm -hmm. professes her love and lust for the soldier was also like super, super dramatic. I mean, that was even more dramatic than that other girl thing Exactly. So this is another important love scene. It's even longer. So the, the love scene, which is fully developed with the whole, uh, you know, uh, topic, traditional vocabulary of love, uh, etc., the typical love scene is a completely deceptive one. And we have a superior knowledge. We know that it's not what's going on. Uh, this, the, the other love scene, which would probably have been in a, in a plot based on love, the main love scene, which is when the woman is, is leaving, 
that one is, is, decep is deceptive. And we've seen the other time this double entendre, you know? Si abstinuisset amare. If I, the, so, the, the, um, the false, the, the phony, supposed uh, sailor, he said, if I had restrained myself from loving. So she's saying that she's lo he's loving her. Um, the whole effect is comic. So then again, a comedy which is translated scene by scene from Greek to Latin, changes its face completely from a comedy about love to a comedy about deception and intelligence. So there's probably a difference also in the themes which are dealt about in Plotus's comedy. And basically in the values which are portrayed, although values is a complicated word, word of course, but uh, the ideology, so to speak, which is conveyed, changes completely. Uh, yeah, other thoughts about this? Differentiation between Plotus and his originals? What's typical of Plotus? There is another aspect which is often referred to in the scholarship about Plotus. Uh, we have seen it, not in detail of course, but uh, what are the metaphors which are used for the slave? The slave, and so we know that much of what concerns the slave is new in, in Plotus, is made up by him. So. The slave compares his deception, his action, to some metaphorical fields. Do you remember which ones? The first one, Sergei, sorry. Architecture, that's right. Drama itself, so he is the one who's making up the action like a drama, is this right? A general, so the military, and Mary, what do you say? The same things. All right, he is. Among these things, architecture is something we cannot, well, we cannot know how the originals were, but the words, the specific word choice that he has about military refers directly to a very Roman, to a very important aspect of Roman mentality and self-representation, being military. We've been studying other forms of, of spectacle, which were in other ways symbolically connected to the military. We know that Rome would represent itself as this warrior culture. In many cases, he speaks of triumph, also in other comedies. He speaks of himself as a general who's ordering the troops in, uh, in field order, you know. So this connection between himself, some metaphors that he's using, including the military one, are probably Roman metaphors. Uh, some of them are some words that he specifically uses, like when he's referring to specific Roman institutions, like the lictores. Remember who the lictores are, the ones with the fasces? They used to be in the theater, in the, um, yeah, in, well, in the amphitheater, no? in, the, in the pompa before the gladiatorial games. Well, the thing is that many of the imaginary, imagery that he is using is typically Roman. So some puns, some, some wordplays. For instance, when he refers, when the old man, Periplectomenus, says that he is a urban person, he's not a farmer, he says, I am not from where? Well, if we were Italian, you would remember this region because it's one of our regions, but of course. Well, from one region of Italy, Apulia, from Animula, he says, which is a village, a small town apparently in Apulia. So he's, he's making up these references which wouldn't obviously be, be in the Greek original. This is another way how you, you transform the surface may, maybe, but in a way also the substance of the comedy into a Roman comedy. The, the comic effect, the, the references are are Roman. Well, I always make this example about The Simpsons and, uh, and Family Guy. Some of the plays, some of the funny parts, some of the references in The Simpsons are not understandable in Italian, the way they are in English. 
Because, of course, it refers to the Democratic and Republican Party. It refers to, I don't know, rural states of the United States being known as rural to all of us, to all of yours, and now me too. But uh, in Italian, it's really interesting to see how these things are dubbed and changed in order to be, to be funny somehow, even in Italian. Uh, same thing for, for Latin originals. Personally, I've developed my interpretation of scrubs into these months. You know, I'm leaving for like in two weeks, and I had now I've been here for six months, and I created my view of, of American culture. And I think the scrubs is a strictly orthodox view of American values in terms of fighting, never giving up, you know, uh, overcoming dif difficulties, doing the right thing, whatever that means. Uh, all the time, if you do the right thing, everything turns out right. In the, in the treatment of the plot in Scrubs, and in the fact that JD in the end gives you a moral, everything turns out exactly in a way, which is American, I think, which is not the way a European person would do it. Um, the thematics which are dealt about, etc. Now, listening to this stuff in English, in English original, I really ask myself, how could they dub it in Italian? And how, how it works, because it works in Italian as well. The point I'm trying to make in, through all this discussion, I'm sorry for it being long, I've seen a couple of people sort of nopping, but not in approval, sort of. <laughs> so I, I am very sorry about that. At first I thought, well, yes, like, you're right. And then, no, <laughs> they're very focused, they're closing their eyes. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Point is, in general, that uh, um, forms of entertainment like the chariot races, like the gladiator, no, the gladiatorial races, no, races, okay, some forms of entertainment being translated from one culture to the other, including what? Okay, the chariot races are typically Roman, but they came from, from Eritrea. What other forms of entertainment have been imported into Rome? Athletics and theater. Archaically, every single form of entertainment in Rome has been imported from somewhere, either from Greek Campania or from Etruria, so Tuscany. When these forms of entertainment are introduced into Rome, there's always a cultural change, a cultural translation to do, which is the clearest sign of the fact that uh, entertainment, like religion we've seen, is strictly culturally determined and has very, very important um, Bound, bounds and uh, connections to the whole culture. In Greek, in Greek theater, in the, in the theater of Rome, which is directly translated from Greece, this is even more evident. And there are problematic points. So what are uh, ideologically problematic points? Like introducing the Greek uh, costumes on the, Greek, on the Roman scenery. Introducing the idea of, uh, uh, of free love, of, uh, of deception, of adultery on the stage. And for Greek athletics, which were the problematic points? Do you remember, James? Nudity. Yeah. Was the most evident one? Andrew? He stole it. He stole it. Uh -huh. But there are other ones. Yeah, Diane and then... Uh, Sorry? Exactly. What's the role of... Com oh, yeah, that one. What's the role of competition? Of physical... John? Same thing. Uh, yeah. Andrew, same thing. <laughs> okay, these two things were very important. That's right. These were some of the... Also, in the last chapter of Gladiators and Caesar, he, he, re -go he goes again over the theme of athletics, making which point? How, was Greek how were Greek athletics conceived in Rome? 
by Roman moralists. No, this is a sad moment of our life. This is the moment when I find out that not many did the readings. Yeah. The moralists in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, you know, and, uh, and gladiators games don't. So, well, it's, it's a strange point of view, but then again, maybe. That's right. So, in order for them to compete, in order for them to watch the competitions, James and then Amanda. Wasn't there also a general fear of these one Roman ideas? What's Roman instead? The military, f- exactly. So there's one competition being the gladiatorial games against, which are, it's just compliant with the Roman, I don't know, mindset, whatever it was conceived to be. And the Greek athletics, not. The Greek athletics were conceived to be girly. Amanda and then Andrew. Exactly. That is weird, the last chapter of couple of pages, very interesting, which compares, no, uh, juicing, juicing. And how do you say? To to ancient uh, hyper nutrition. Kevin and then Andrew? Okay. It's the same thing? Yes. Probably at the beginning, yeah. Mm-hmm. Haven't you found it interesting that at a certain point it says that Augustus, if I'm not wrong, liked to pair a Greek athlete with a Roman one? That's pretty interesting. That's, at first they thought that it was a Greek thing. And so they, did, they, were, they weren't interested in competing about this because they didn't feel athletics as a Roman thing. Pretty much like Americans don't care about soccer being such an European thing. At the moment, I remember the last soccer football is how he calls it, and I call it too in Europe. Uh, the World Championship, uh, I don't remember the last one or two championships ago, there was this American team uh, getting to the highest, you know, to the five semifinals or something like this. And that was the, fir- the very first time. Uh, because everybody's hoping that the Americans open up to this market because it's a multi-millionaire market, okay? And you're pretty, pretty wealthy society, so it's like new money going into this huge bubble. I, I assure you, in, in Europe it's a very important thing, yeah. For football, you mean American football, sure. Mm-hmm. Same thing in Italy. I, I barely know of anybody playing ba- baseball in Italy, for instance, or football at all. That's right. So at the first, at the beginning, they didn't identify themselves with soccer in, in soccer, with athletics in Rome, and said, "Okay, let's let." the Greek people do it. And then Augustus is the first, apparently the first testimony we have about somebody who wants to show that now we Romans can compete with Greeks in athletics in a way. So there's this slow acceptance. And the emperor who really introduced athletics in Rome and builds up the first big circus is who? The circus, no? It's the mission. So the circus of the mission nowadays, Piazza Navona, if I'm not mistaken. So then again, the introduction of a new form of, envirom- of, of entertainment in a new society is always problematic. Um, I'm thinking of cinema and theater. I'm telling you that one of the major ways through which the American culture has been entering Europe in the second 
dopoguerra, so after World War II, has been through Hollywood and, and movies and cinema. And they used to be problematic ideologically in very conservative societies like Italy, for instance, you know, because they portrayed a different mindset, etc. But this point is pretty fairly obvious. Maybe it's, it sounds just too obvious to you. So any other questions on this? We, otherwise, we can move on. Well, the other point I'd like to discuss is, uh, is in the proposals again, yeah. Plus originality, done. Okay, Hellenistic kingdoms and Rome. That's a point that uh, Duckworth was, um, Gaius and Caesar was doing at the beginning of the chapter. And Duckworth was talking about this as well. Rome is the only nation which could translate the Greek dramas into Latin, which could create an original literature. Why? Because they were not speaking Greek very clearly. One other point I would like to bring to your attention very shortly is that the language is a fundamental aspect in this, uh, of cultural differentiation. Now I have a couple of Armenian friends which tell me how important it is that the proud of this nation for their culture, language, and alphabets. So in general, apparently, linguistic aspects are always crucial in the nation-building processes, etc. And Rome was that nation, the only nation in the learned, civilized, the Mediterranean world, I mean, we're excluding the barbarians, uh, which had this huge problem of translating, for whatever that means, a, a, a whole culture, Greek culture, into Latin. And translating to me means something more general. It means recreated, means rebuilding, translating culturally. So what's the role of the servant? What's the role of the woman? What's the role of uh, a free citizenship? A citizen, like Periplectomenus says, should he, should he get married or not? Uh, etc. There's a huge process of translation of, a, of the Hellenistic society into Rome. We've been talking about the political. Okay, this lecture for me is a little bit of recapitulation of what we've been saying, as you, as you see. We've been talking about the, the translation of uh, political values in Rome. What is the big problem about importing the Greek reflection on politics in Rome, according to you? Which has to do with the entertainment. We've seen it all the time. Exactly. The image is also right because they would conceive themselves that way. Um, also, yeah, go ahead. The question is what's the difference between Greek politics and Roman politics in Republican Roman time? And what are the problematics involved into the translation of, of Greek politics into Rome? Mm -hmm. Well, the two things go together. I think that they should be melted into one. Yeah, Diane, please. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly, which is, which is what we... So, putting all this, also another thing. The Greek king of the Hellenistic kingdoms was not only a um, political you know, ruler, but also what? which comes from east, from farther east. Alexander the Great was the first one. He was a god. He was a semi-god. He was connected with the divinity. In um, Ptolemaic Egypt, Egypt, these Greek kings, the Ptolemies, the successors of Alexander the Great over there, had picked up this element from the pharaohs, from the late, very late pharaonic age. The pharaoh is a god himself, isn't he? And so also the Greek 
kings don't want to break up this tradition when they conquer this land and they try to Hellenize it, etc., etc. So this is the political element which travels westwards from the uh, Persian Empire or the the the, the Hellenistic uh, from the Egypt from Egypt to Greece and from Greece to Rome. Its introduction in Rome is very problematic and it passes through entertainment. What is one what's what's the form of entertainment which conveys very powerfully this idea of the ruler, of the one ruler, the emperor into Rome, directly into the veins of the people, not passing through philosophical philosophical reflection. Although there is a philosophical reflection about this, Seneca, De Clementia, etc. How does it work through the games? We've been studying this. Mary and the teacher? This instrument is given by this master of life and, and death, that's right. And then James? Pompe itself, yeah. Although the Pompe was there in the Republican time as well, and he and the magistrate in the Republican time had the Fasces in front of him, symbolizing his um, power. But, yes, Andrew and... Okay, Kevin, because Kevin has always been stolen in his ideas by other people. Yeah, so that's right. The emperor Yes, that's right, which happens in so many other aspects of Roman life. But we study entertainment, so we see entertainment. But how about the feast, the festivals? We know, you know, we celebrate in the United States, we celebrate the 4th of July, and we celebrate Washington's birthday. And we celebrate, uh, I don't know, other things that we don't celebrate in Italy. So the building up of the calendar conveys an agenda. Think of the Sovietic um, calendar, which was completely revolutionized from what was before, new feasts. Old feasts are cancelled, new feasts come. Same thing with Augustus, which introduces feasts connected with his person. All right. And so the games, the gladiatorial games. Amanda and then Andrew? Thank you so much. That's what, yeah, the, the space, the, um, the reorganization of time, and also the reorganization of space. Andrew? Well, yes, yeah. yes, 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 that's right. And this is all just what we saw, but there are so many other aspects in cult, in Roman cult, for instance, the worship of the emperor, the organization of bureaucracy, the organization of the quarters of Rome, the different parts of Rome, are changed by Augustus. In every quarter there is an edicula, a edicula, which is a little shrine for the cult of the emperor, of his genius. So every day's life of the people is directly connected to that one person. Okay, all this is introduced slowly, slowly by the emperors. And let me say this, it's introduced straight into the veins of the people before it's accepted by philosophical thought. Although there is some, you know, at the high levels of society, there has been some resistance. There's been much less resistance, if any, at the low level of the people. Augustus and Nero, especially, appealed directly to the people. and were very popular in the lower stratuses of the population. In Italy, provincials, in the army, in the plebs, much more than they were from the patricians. And this goes through the games, entertainment, very easily, very straightforward. Okay. I think that I should really go for the evaluations. Other interesting, interesting aspects we we live in apart, but not really many. Okay, well, please, Amanda. So on Wednesday, the rings will be online. The rings for Wednesday will be online shortly, 
and uh, we will see this uh, this VHS. Thank you. <laughs>